Hey, this is Ali Ballas, and I am a victim of the 2020 lockdown. All joking aside, I just want to hang, and I've heard a lot of people saying the same, and sometimes with people who I don't even know. And as we've come to realize, that is not okay during a pandemic. Even though we can't meet in person, doesn't mean we can't get outside of our bubble. This is about learning new things, stepping outside, and all while staying home. Just because we can't hang, there still can't hang. This week on Can't Hang, I speak to Alina and Taryn, two women of color in the United States who are engaged to be married just six years after it has become legal to do so in their state. We chat about their relationship, their coming out stories, and what it means to be at the intersection of race, gender, and sexuality in 2020. Note. Elena and Taryn both share their coming out stories in this episode, and I would like you as a listener to remember that this is only indicative of two stories. Some are easier, some are tougher, and some never come out at all. So I thank both of them for being open to share their stories with us. Prior to recording, I made sure to ask in a safe way if they would be willing to share their stories, and they obliged willingly, and this was not a pressured or on-spot question. Also, as a last note, when I say it is less volatile to come out in Canada, I'm speaking specifically from a place of political reference, not to downplay the intensity or emotional struggle the Canadian LGBTQ face. And now it is my pleasure to introduce you to Elena and Taryn, the couple who created a community. Okay, so I'm so excited. Um, this week I'm having on Elena and Taryn. I'm pronouncing that right, I hope. Um, you are, yes. <laughs> perfect. So I'm so excited to have you guys on. Um, it's even more so exciting because um, you both live in Washington, D.C. And as even as a Canadian, um, I recognize the importance of that space right now um, in the political climate. So uh, how crazy is it there right now? It's been really, really amazing. I mean, it's definitely something that's all across the country, but D.C., considering it's the hub for American politics, has been so awesome. I mean, we haven't been able to go out ourselves, but, you know, we hear people honking and cheering, and it's just, it's such a, like, buoyant and happy atmosphere here right now. So it's, we're we're really happy. Yeah, I think the best way to describe it is really electrifying. Like, you, you can walk down the street and just hear... Uh, car horns blaring and people celebrating. Um, I don't know if you're familiar, but Go-Go is uh, a, a big part of D.C. It's, it's um, our, our music genre. Okay. Um, and so there's this movement called Long Live Go-Go D.C. Um, and so it's actually a Go-Go band on uh, a truck and they kind of ride around oh. and start parties in the streets. So they were they were uh, very instrumental in a lot of the parties and celebrations that were going on yesterday. So it's been really awesome, really positive. Oh, wow. That's so cool. And like, obviously we've been seeing coverage on TV, but there is really nothing like um, being like at the heart of something like that. So that's really awesome. And obviously so positive. Um, It was quite a week. So I'm sure everyone was really just like ready to like let loose on that end. But I guess without getting like too, too political, um, we're now sitting at a time where there's inevitably still inequalities and barriers. Um, The new leader of your country is now least at least an acknowledgement, like that they exist. It's a problem. There's 
now a woman of color in there. So it might be a little, a little bit more representative of groups that are typically not represented in that type of space. So can you kind of speak to how this must feel like following the recent elect of Joe Biden and the Democratic Party? Yeah, I, I think it's it just feels incredible. It, it feels like we can finally take a deep breath. Um, I, it, it finally feels like to some degree we're being heard um, mm-hmm. and that we're trying to flush out a lot of the the hatred and just negativity that's kind of been looming over um, the U.S. for for quite some time. I it's funny because we were driving in to meet with some of my family yesterday as we got the news and we just started blaring music <laughs> and just couldn't get smiles off of our face just because we felt just like we could finally breathe and finally relax. Um, so it's incredible. I, I think that the the representation that Kamala Harris. Um, shows for everyone out there is amazing. Obviously being a woman, but also being a woman of color. Um, we are two black women. Um, and so just to be able to see that representation actually in the Oval Office is incredible. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, so I guess before we get into like things, you guys really are just such like an embodiment of like intersectionality that's often discussed. And I was in a more like liberal arts program. So like really like discussed, analyzed, celebrated, but, um, it's not always recognized for its complexity. So, um, I'm really excited to get into this with you guys, um, as like a white woman, I obviously can't pretend to understand, but I do want to learn from you. So I think that's what this is all about. So over the course of the episode, we'll, we'll get into some of that, but, um, what I really want to do is just start from the beginning. So what were your childhoods like that, like brought you to this place? Yeah. So this is Taryn. Um, and (laughs) my childhood was really great. Um, I have one sibling, a little brother. We are extremely close. Um, I played basketball growing up, um, since I was really young, like seven or something years old, um, and never really put down the basketball. Um, and because of that, my brother being younger, he really got into sports, really got into basketball. So we spent a lot of time outdoors shooting hoops. Um, that's, that's how most of our childhood went a lot of traveling for basketball basketball, um, and just great support from my parents. Um, you know, they were, they were very instrumental in me being able to have the opportunities to, um, explore basketball on a much higher level and, and be able to get the, um, exposure that I needed to be able to get recruited. Um, I was able to, uh, get a division one college basketball scholarship. So that was really cool. Definitely, uh, was a sigh relief for my parents investing <laughs> as much as they did in basketball. Um, but that's, that's kind of it about my, about my childhood. Um, I'm really close with my family. I uh, live probably only about 20 or so minutes from them. So see them often. I was actually just with my mom and my aunt yesterday. Um, so that's, that's kind of how my childhood went. Yeah. And I, I had a great childhood as well. I'm one of five children in a blended family. Um, so always something going on. I mean, I'm the second youngest and the youngest girl, so I definitely faced, uh, I guess, a, a few more challenges than Taryn probably faced considering I had, you know, three older siblings who had already gone through life, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. But I have a great family. I mean, we really love each other. There's so many of us. So there's a lot of time for us to, to spend together for sure. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm trying to think if I had something <laughs> super stand out about my childhood. I can't really think of anything apart from being a part of a complicated, very complicated, blended family. But um, yeah, I, I definitely think that I, I had an overall good childhood. Mm-hmm. And I see that you put down here that you went to school in Spain. So that's like 
besides the point, but like super cool. So like, how was that experience? Because I feel like that's something I would have loved to do. But now that I'm past that educational peak, I guess I'm kind of past that point. Yeah, I I went to the University of Virginia, which is I think the number one public academic or maybe not number one anymore, but it was definitely at one point the number one public academic school in the nation, which was really amazing to be able to attend. And my older sister went there. So of course she's, you know, my inspiration growing up and it was really amazing to be able to go there as well. And while I was there, I did study abroad in Valencia, Spain, and it was one of the most incredible experiences I've ever had. I definitely, the the first morning when I woke up there, I was like, oh my God, I'm on the other side of the world. Like what's going on? Freaking out. But I was like, you know what? I'm here. Like I'm going to embrace it. I stayed with a host family. So I was completely immersed in the language and culture. And I, you know, didn't want to come back. And I really feel like it's kind of shaped my understanding of the world. Like I feel like in the United States, we're so like us focused, like there's nothing else outside of us. And to be able to go overseas and understand how much more connected the rest of the world seems to be, it really opened my eyes to, you know, there's so many different ways to live a life. There's so many, I mean, we're all kind of tiny specks on this globe. So to think that, you know, your world is the whole world is, is really close-minded. So I think that definitely had a lot to do with me opening up my, um, my worldview. And I, d- I wish that it was required for every single person who goes to school to be able to study in another country. Cause I think it's so important for personal growth. Mm-hmm. We, I don't know if you guys have like the same thing, but there's always like memes that are like, Oh, like going abroad, like changed my life. And like, it's like just this joke <laughs> that like everyone comes back and they're like, Oh, it's like the best. Like it just changed my whole life. But I do have Having real. Yes, it is. And like, I know you like make fun of your friends that do that. And it's like so funny, but like, it is true. And like everyone that I know that's gone abroad um, has benefited in such a positive way, whether they were just so engulfed in their own beliefs or what, whatever it may be. Um, they come back like a really different person. And that's so cliche to say, but you do, I think um, having maybe a secondhand perspective of it, um, come back a different person. So that's like really awesome that you got to do that and experience that. Absolutely. And I'm really grateful to my, my parents. I, I didn't, you know, mention I, I am one of five, but my parents did relatively well for themselves. We definitely struggled, struggled when we were younger, but as we grew, my parents got promotions, my mom kicking butt in her job. And so we've definitely been able to afford more things than I think any of us expected, but we're certainly not wealthy, but I've been able to, you know, experience these things. And I'm, I'm super grateful for that. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So I guess shifting towards like a more family side. So maybe it wasn't with your family. Um, I don't know your stories specifically, but um, what are your coming out stories? If you don't mind sharing with that, because I know that's a point of contention, even in Canada where it's not as volatile, I guess. I don't want to generalize in that sense, but um it's a little bit more tame um, in the political atmosphere of coming out in Canada. Um, so what what was your guys' experience with that, if you don't mind sharing? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think it's important to share coming out stories, you know, when you can and when you feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, so my coming out story is interesting. Um, I knew that something just wasn't, wasn't quite right. I just wasn't attracted to a lot of the guys that my friends were attracted to in school and just was very disinterested and mainly just wanted to play basketball with them more than anything else. Um, so, you know, 
obviously flushing that out, you, you kind of realize, okay, something's a little bit different here. Um, I, I did realize that I was a lesbian at a young age. Um, however, I didn't really act on it. Um, I actually didn't really act on it until I got to college, mainly just because of comfortability. Mm-hmm. Um, all of my friends were straight, are straight. Um, I, of course, I do have some friends that are on the spectrum now, but most of my friends are straight. Um, and in school, they were growing up. Um, and I don't, I didn't have, and don't have anyone in my family, um, that's part of the LGBTQ community. So because of that, I, I struggled. I didn't really know what to do. Um, because I had such a close relationship with my parents and my family, I didn't want to do anything to disappoint them. Um, my family was really proud of me because of not just my parents, but my extended family and everyone was really proud of me because of my basketball accomplishments. Um, and so for me, I didn't want to taint their vision of me. Um, as sad as that kind of sounds. So mm-hmm. I, I didn't really act on it. I didn't bring it up. Um, it wasn't until I got to college my freshman year where I finally felt like I was surrounded by those that, you know, were in the LGBTQ plus community. Um, those that were, you know, our parents are not here. It's okay to live our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to school in Boston. So uh, it's about eight hours away from the DC metropolitan area, which is where I grew up and where my parents lived. So for me, it was my chance to finally be able to step into myself, explore my sexuality, explore what this really means for me um, and, and, you know, start to live that. So, once I finally got there, got immersed, kind of felt this, this uh, feeling, overwhelming feeling of like liberation. Uh, you know, I, I got comfortable and I sent my parents a coming out text, um, <laughs> just letting them know, hey, I am a lesbian. I like women. I I intend on dating women. Um, and as you can imagine, that is a lot. That's a, that's a big bomb to drop for anyone via mm-hmm. text message. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so <laughs> definitely wasn't the, the best way to go about it. But, but you know, as you know, there's no book for these kind of things and <laughs> as a kid you know you're really just trying to you're trying to get by so it, it didn't they communicated a little bit back to me via text and and I think they were more confused and trying to get an idea of what was actually happening um so finally when we were able to connect via phone it was more I think more of kind of a, a surface level conversation um it was very much just you know what is this where did this come from how long have you been feeling this way type of thing as opposed to understanding you know, how I really felt about it, how long I had been struggling with it, mm-hmm. um, why I didn't speak to them sooner about it, and, and nor was I able to kind of get their perspective on things. Um, it wasn't until about a couple of weeks later that we really started to flush this out and, and talk more about it. Um, and I really got my parents' true feelings on it with not understanding it, um, not not approving of it, not uh, just not really in, in love with the idea. Um and so it was tough. Like I said, I'm, I'm very close with my parents. So it was a really tough thing to have this huge piece of contention between us, um, especially because it's about me and, and fundamentally who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, so because of that and their response, I essentially just acted like it wasn't a thing. Um, I didn't bring anybody and anyone that I was dating around my family. Um, I, I kind of just pretended like it, it didn't exist. Like it wasn't something that we had even spoken about. Um, so for four five, maybe even six years, um, through college and, and a couple of years after, um, I just didn't introduce anyone in my family. Um, and as far as they could, they were concerned, I wasn't dating or seeing anyone. Um, it, it wasn't until, um, I was in a relatively serious relationship uh, quite a few years back, um, and I was finally deciding to move in with someone, uh, a woman, obviously. Um, 
And so I needed to be able to have that conversation with my parents. So I wrote them a letter just kind of explaining, you know, we've talked about this before, but essentially here's me coming out once more. Um, I, I have to live for me. I can't keep pretending like this isn't me and, and, and my life. Um, and so I, I wrote them a letter. Uh, once they received the letter, I didn't hear from my parents for over a month. Um, so that was really difficult just because I felt like, you know, I, I, I put my heart out in, on this piece of paper and to not really receive much of a response, much of a response from the people you care about most was, was tough. Mm-hmm. Um, Finally, we were able to, to to connect and talk. It was a lot of emotional conversations, um, but we're in a great place. Like I said, I, I was just hanging out with my mom. I we <laughs> hang out often. Um, she loves Elena, my fiance. Um, they have a great relationship. Um, I can't really say how we got here. I think it was just <laughs> some time, some understanding, a lot of transparent conversations, um, and then I think they were able to also see how genuine of a person Elena was and liked her as a, you know, an individual first Mm -hmm. um, and then saw how well we were able to connect and, and how, how well we got along. Um, And that's, that's how we got here. So. Wow. That's like a really tough story coming from a place where like, I'm super close with my family too. And I was an athlete and I can totally understand all of those things, like not wanting to let people down. And I mean, not in the same context, um, but yeah, I, I, I can sort of somewhat understand what that must have been like, though I can't imagine it, like how hard that must have been for you. So that's, well, like that's really courageous. So kudos to you for that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I, it's funny because when I um, was going through everything with my parents, you know, back in college and, and, and before, you know, wrote the letter and, and had to sit down, I, I never in a million years thought we were going to get here. And I think it's important to, to say that. I don't think that everyone's coming out situation, if it is volatile with their family, I don't think that everyone's is going to get to this point. I, I think that's unrealistic to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was absolutely certain that we wouldn't get to a positive place in regards to my sexuality and my future with a woman and, and building out my family. Mm-hmm. Um so the fact that we're here, I think, is extremely encouraging. Um, you know, my we are Elena and I are engaged. My parents know they're happy for us. They asked to see the rings. Um, you know, we talk to them about wedding plans and and you know family planning down the line and things like that. So they are very much a part of our lives and our future. Um, and I think it's important to just add that little bit of encouragement for those that you know may need it if they're going through some tough things with their family. Mm-hmm. For sure. So was it a similar experience with yourself, Elena, or did you have kind of um, a contrasting experience? Um, mine was definitely different. I was, I mean, I definitely wasn't like a an athlete that wooed the entire family, but <laughs> since I was the youngest girl and I've always been like super sweet and nice and, you know, everybody always kind of saw me as like the sweet little innocent girl that needed to be protected. Um, and I always kind of just went along with what my parents wanted for me, what my family wanted. I was always, you know, super nice and help. And I am like, I'm genuinely a nice person, a kind person. And I will always be that way. That's who I am at the core. But I think because, you know, I'm very much different from the rest of my siblings and the rest of my family in terms of, I guess, the way that I act or the core of who I am. Uh, not to say that my family is mean. They're not. I'm just, <laughs> I guess I'm, I'm different in the sense that I'm just, I don't know. I have a very, I'm the youngest girl. I have a different, like a view of life. I'm just 
I don't know. I'm different. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so, you know, my family has always seen me as like, you know, sweet little innocent one that has to be protected. And I've always, you know, very much gone along with what my parents wanted for me. And when I got to college, I was definitely learning more about myself. I, you know, was definitely still a little bit of a pushover at that time. And, but when it came to, you know, around my last year in school, I kind of broke out of my shell. I had just ended a relationship um, with a man that I was with in college. And after that, I kind of just broke out of my shell and really recognized my worth and my value. And, you know, I had, this was after I got back from Spain. So like I had a new worldview and I just became like a new version of myself where again, at my core, I'm still very kind and sweet and I believe in people and I'm, you know, just, I'd like to think I'm a very good person, Um, (laughs) but I definitely, you know, I didn't take things from people anymore. I wanted to define my own path. And during that time, I, I had a relation, not a relationship. I had a sexual experience with a woman in college. I didn't really like it. I wasn't really into her, but it was just something that I was in college, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never really thought of myself as bisexual at that time. Like I just, you know, I was like, oh, whatever. I'm living my life, whatever. <laughs> um, but after college, I found myself a little more drawn to women in in a way. And I didn't really know what that was, but I was like, okay, I mean, whatever. Like it's, if I am, I am, it's not a big deal, but all of this was happening internally. I wasn't really discussing it with anyone. And so I met Taryn in 2016 and I guess my whole world kind of turned upside down because I had never in my life been attracted to someone the same way that I am or was, well, was and am. (laughs) Was and am attracted to her. Um, and, you know, we, you know, had a whirlwind romance and I just couldn't like keep my excitement or my love or like whatever about her away from anyone. I'm a terrible liar, like <laughs> terrible. Um, so my parents had an idea that I was, you know, involved with someone because again, I can't really keep it off my face at this point. I'm just beaming about her. <laughs> so Eventually, I ended up telling them (laughs) it was like after my niece's birthday dinner or something like that. And it was just, you know, we were sitting in the car. They were driving me to my car, I think. And I told them that I was in a relationship with a woman and, you know, I don't want them to think of me any differently. But it's important for them to know because I'm happy and I'm in love and I want them to, you know, understand what's happening in my life and try to, you know, take on this journey together with me. And at first it was fine. They reacted, you know pretty normally, I would say they were, you know, we love you and we're glad you told us, yada, yada, yada. But then a couple of weeks later, they told me essentially how they really felt, which was, you know, they thought I was being manipulated because again, they had that version of me in their head that I was a naive, you know, pushover, super kind, would do anything for anyone type of person. So they thought, you know, parents coming in here and corrupting our baby girl to be with women. And it's like, that's not what's happening here. Like Mm -hmm. I've felt this kind of pull toward women a little bit over the past few years. And when I met her, it was just kind of that just exploded and here I am. And Mm -hmm. they just can't really wrap their minds around someone being bisexual. They think if I like both men and women, then I should choose to be with men because that's the easiest path. That's the path of, you know, religion and Christianity and the Bible. And that's what they want from me. So if I can like both, why wouldn't I go with men? But that's not how it works. You know, like I fall in love with a person. I'm not concerned with their genitalia. I'm, I fell in love with Karen for who she is. Yeah. Um, so they've definitely struggled with that. And it's really been an ongoing struggle. Um, we're at the point now, like we're engaged. 
So I think they've kind of reserved, they've kind of understood that, okay, at this point, they can't do anything about it, but it's still something that we don't actively talk about or anything. Like when Taryn asked for their blessing to propose, they basically like vehemently rejected her and they really didn't, they, they were shocked by it, even though we at that point had been together almost four years Mm -hmm. and it was, you know, it really proved to me that they have not really gone through the process of processing this and understanding Mm -hmm. this. And I think they think it's a phase or that they can talk me out of it or that something's going to happen so that I won't be with her anymore. But now we're engaged and I think they're starting to realize like, okay, this is not ending. Like we need to get on board and they've become a little bit more not accepting. I don't know if accepting is the word, but it's our relationship doesn't feel as tense or strained. Like I used to get, you know, anxious anytime I'd see my parents calling me because I knew that it would just be either a very surface level conversation or it would be them telling me that I'm not doing something right with my life. And it, Mm -hmm. it would just, it was a lot of contention. There was just a lot of tension between us. So we're at the point now where things are definitely better. I would not say that I feel 1000% confident that it's going to continue that way. A lot of times people say that when your child comes out, parents go through the phases of grief and that's a sliding scale because they are grieving the child they thought they had. And I think that my parents are definitely going through that. Sometimes I think they're at the point of accepting it. And then sometimes they'll revert back into anger or confusion or blaming. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, I have no idea where we're going to be, you know, in a couple of years. Who knows what's going to happen when we actually get married? They've been very supportive. We're actually buying a house together. Taryn and I are building a house and they've been very supportive through that process, which is excellent. But like, what is that really going to look like when it's, you know, they come and visit and it's Taryn and I, this is our home. Mm-hmm. You know, we've lived in apartments and stuff and, yeah, I mean, yeah, we have a lease together, but this isn't our home, really. So what's mm-hmm. it going to be like when they come and stay with us in our home? And we're, you know, any, anyway, so yeah. I'm talking a lot, but no, that's, that's where good. we are. <laughs> that's <coming> out story. <laughs> yeah, that's... I think also, if I could just like add one little thing, I think what's so interesting is that both of us understand as much as we don't understand, we do to some element understand where both of our families are coming from. Both of our families are very faith-based. We're both faith-based. And the other concept is, so it's, it's reconciling, you know, sexuality with religion. You know, everyone's heard the concept of homosexuality is a sin. And, and so is our families trying to understand that and navigate that for the first time. Mm -hmm. And for us, we both grew up in the church. We both are faith-based. So we've already had our reconciliation with our sexuality and our faith. We've already done that work. And so for for our families, it's their turn to kind of do that work and to understand what that looks like and that two things can coexist Mm -hmm. um, without us saying, oh, we're no longer, you know, Christians or or anything like that. Um, And I think the other major thing is the fact that we are both black women. Um, And as we've been seeing lately, things can be really tough for um, black people, um, especially black women, just not being appreciated, um, not really having their their, their shine. Um, And so I think with our, our mothers specifically, I think for them, it's also the concept of you already have so many things stacked up against mm-hmm. you. I don't want something else stacked up against you. Right. Um, and so for us, it's we understand that and we know you love us and just want the best for us and want us to have, you know, everything that we could possibly have. But this isn't something that we can just turn off, unfortunately, or not unfortunately, but to <laughs> them, unfortunately. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. And um, Alina, your story, I don't know if you guys watched this um, show or not, but um, like in Schitt's Creek, like there's just like a popular, uh, do, you, do you watch that show? No, but I feel like I should. I feel like I've heard a lot of good things about okay, it. Yeah, there's like a scene that David, like the son is like, no, like I, I like guys, like I like girls, like I, and then they're in a wine store. So it's like, I like the wine and not the bottle or like, not the label, I guess is what he says. Um, so it's more mm-hmm. so just like about the person. So I think that's like a perfect, especially during this time, I guess it's like a popular show right now because of all their wins and stuff. Um, so I think that it's really cool that that type of like messaging is in such a mainstream thing. And that sounds like something that it, it, you could relate to, I guess, if I'm going to place that onto you. <laughs> um, but it's just kind of an interesting way that it's, it's becoming more normalized in, in pop culture, at least on a surface level um, in, in such popular examples. So that's what that story reminded me of. Sorry to input that into no, your story. No, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I would really recommend it because it's just like such a good way to like insert like tougher conversations into like something that's such a like comedic show. And like, it just really gets into cool issues like that and in representation and all that stuff. So I would recommend it <laughs> if anything else. Um, but, um, so you guys talked about how kind of a little bit, you touched on how you met. Um, so would you mind telling that story? Cause I think it's a really cool story after reading it. Um, and I think oh. that it's really like worth being pointed out, um, just because of the way, um, that it shaped you as a couple it's funny we we talk about it sometimes it feels like kind of like a divine intervention in some ways so I had I think I don't know a few months earlier gotten out of a situationship with a guy and I was still like pining over him or whatever so I was gonna go out with my friend Alex into um an area of the city where I thought he would frequent so I would run into him and like you know be strategic or whatever um which is funny yeah because like again like I'm I'm very much bisexual like I had just got out of something with a guy and then I met Taryn and I was like boom like here I am Mm. so anyway um I was gonna go out with my friend and she's like hey instead of going to this place why don't we go into DC because my cousin's celebrating her birthday and we can just go out with them. I was like, yeah, cool, whatever. I don't need to, you know, I didn't tell her this, but I was like, I don't need to see him, whatever. (laughs) Um, So we went out and turns out that her cousin, it's not her cousin, it's like her play cousin. Her play cousin is Taryn's good friend from high school. So Taryn had come out for her birthday as well. So we went out to this, you know, bar club thing in DC and we, you know, walk into the club or whatever. And I see Taryn like immediately. And I don't know if she's like part of the group that we're meeting up with, or if she's like just there, like in the crowd, I don't really know. But I was like, oh my gosh, who is that? I'm freaking out. I've never seen someone more beautiful. Like, why do I feel this way? She's clearly a woman. I'm tingly all over what's happening. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we all do our introductions or whatever. And I think like I shook Taryn's hand last and I was like, Ah, like so nervous. Um, and for me, whenever I like am into someone, I like can't speak to them. I can't look at them. I have no idea how to act. I'm just like totally shut off. And then compound that with the fact that I've never been attracted to a woman in the way that I was to Taryn. So I was just like totally standoffish to her the whole night. But it turns out that she was interested in me as well. And, you know, the next morning we all went out for that same uh, friend's birth or for, yeah, for her birthday brunch. 
Um, and that time, you know, it was daylight. I was able to like process what was happening. I talked to my friend, Alex. I was like, Alex, I'm into her. What's happening? And Alex was like, I think she's single. Maybe you should try to do something. Mm-hmm. She's a great friend. And so that next morning we were, you know, at brunch and Alex and I sat next to Taryn and we asked her tons of questions. And we all had a great time chatting. We ended up going to a bar and we all hung out like literally just all day on Sunday. We Sunday fun dayed. And then the next day was the NCAA championship. So Taryn came down from Baltimore to DC, which if you don't know is a long drive, oh. <laughs> uh, especially just, I think it was like during rush hour too, which is really insane. Um, so she came down and watched the game uh, with me and my friends. So we spent, you know, another night basically up to like 2 AM hanging out um, and then, you know, the next couple of days we were, you know, chatting, texting or whatever. And I told her that I was interested in her and she was like, well, I'd like to take you on a date. And then we did. And here we are engaged <laughs> four and a half years later. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. So I'm glad you brought that up because um, not only is your meeting story really cool, but your engagement story is really cool. Um, so can we keep going on that train? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. I'll let Taryn tell this part. <laughs> okay. Um, so- so the engagement. Um, so that was that was rough, um, mainly because Elena changed her mind a bunch of times about how she actually wanted to propose. <laughs> Love <it>. that. <laughs> so she is definitely the more like mellow, level-headed, rational one of the relationship, mm-hmm. and I'm definitely the like dreamer, mm-hmm. want to do things on the grandest scale person in the relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I'm like, yeah, flash mobs and like, (laughs) it's the most ridiculous thing. Um, and she made it abundantly clear to me very early on that she was not interested in anything that was public. She very much wanted a private ceremony or not ceremony, private, um, just the private engagement and, or excuse me, proposal, something like super low key. She didn't really want to like feel put on the spot and all that kind of stuff. So in my mind, I'm trying to figure out how to marry our two styles so that, you know, it's a little bit of me, but it's also true to what she wanted. And then, you know, we're both, we're both very, very close to our families and both very, very close to our friends. Um, Elena has a decently large and like really, really strong friend group from college. And I have really, 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 really strong childhood friends and, and things like that. So we wanted to figure out a way to bring, or I wanted to figure out a way to bring everybody together for for the proposal. So I wanted to, I was thinking about doing some type of proposal in DC um, and then surprising her afterwards with some type of huge engagement party with all of our friends on like a rooftop bar in DC overlooking the city, just thinking this would just be magnificent. Yeah. (laughs) And then, we, I think we were watching TV or something and Elena ends up telling me like, I hate the concept of like the surprise. <laughs> oh. part. Um, like, I don't think anyone should do that. Blah, blah, blah. blah. I'm like, oh, no, what was that? <laughs> For myself. That's what I said. So she made it abundantly clear. She wasn't interested in that. So I had to go back to the drawing board. Um, so I, again, had to, I, I was just throwing out a bunch of ideas and, just trying to get an idea of what she wanted. Um, and then she ends up coming to me and tells me that really, if I just rolled over one morning while we're in bed and just gave her a ring and asked her to, to marry me, that would be the perfect proposal for her. <laughs> um, so again, how do I put the Terrence spin <laughs> on something so simple? Um, so we actually were, uh, we planned a trip to Asia. Neither one of us had been um, to that side of the world before. We've been wanting to travel a lot more. Um, we've done a lot of uh, continental U.S. 
travel. Um, so we really wanted to kind of get out and, and do something different. So we ended up booking a trip to Thailand. Um, and so when we did so, I tried to figure out how to do the proposal there. So I worked with the hotel um, and was able to plan something really nice um, because Elena wanted something simple as like breakfast in bed and rollover proposal. Um, what I did was work with the hotel um, and I had them set up a floating breakfast. Um, so we had a pool villa, meaning that we had a private pool uh, with our hotel room. Um, and so I just told her like, hey, one one morning, let's just do something nice and have a floating breakfast. Um, so she's like, yeah, that sounds great. Uh, so I actually had them set the room up for the proposal with like, will you marry me balloons and rose petals and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so, you know, that was my way of getting her out of the room is just, hey, they need to set up the breakfast. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was funny because as we're walking back to the room, you know, as they're done, uh, I'm trying to go slow because I don't know. I don't have any way of confirming that they're finished. Oh <laughs> um, and she's starving and she gets very hangry. Um, so she's like, no, you said an hour. They have to be finished. Let's go. And she's like sprinting back to the room. And I'm trying <laughs> to find every reason to stall and delay. Um, also, on top of trying to figure that out, my heart was beating a, mi- a million miles per hour. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, we get back to the room. Um, at first, she didn't even realize what was happening. She just saw balloons and was like, wow, is this part of the floating breakfast experience? <laughs> and I was just kind of like, keep looking. <laughs> like, can um, you read? And, yeah, right. <laughs> Finally, she saw the lady marry me. Um, and then both of us just kind of broke down a bunch of waterworks, not even sure what was said. Um, obviously, Elena did say yes. <laughs> um, uh, and then after that, after we had some time to kind of decompress and like really just reflect on the fact that we were engaged, um, I told her that uh, we had a surprise uh, engagement photo shoot on the beach at sunset that day. Um, and then we, we celebrated at a, a steakhouse um, in Thailand. So it was it was really nice. It was, it was really beautiful. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No big day. deal. Just like in Thailand, like the most beautiful <laughs> thing ever. The photos are like impeccable. Like they're so nice. So good call on that. Um, Thank you. Wow, Thank that's you. like Thank just you. such a cool story. And like, oh, wow, that's so cool. And I also, just, <laughs> on another note, I'm just jealous that you were like somewhere else in the world like at this time yeah. where we can't go anywhere. So that's like another point yeah. where I'm just like, oh. Yeah, that's. <laughs> That's like a huge one. I didn't even mention that. So um, when we got to Thailand, we actually got to Thailand kind of right as COVID was oh. was hitting. Yeah. So, I mean, there were definitely some restrictions with travel and things like that, but it was kind of just starting to, to pick up um, as we were traveling. So um, we went, like when we got to Thailand, I think the very next morning, our, we woke up to our flight being canceled, our flight home being canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, and... So basically I had to spend three different days um, on the hotel phone, racking up a ton of long distance fees, Um, like hundreds of dollars worth of long distance fees, trying to get in touch with the airline and rescheduling our flight. We ended up having to reschedule the flight three different times, but we got home the same day we were supposed to get home and everything worked out. Um, But that was definitely a stressful component because the day of the proposal, I'm also on the phone with the airline trying to figure out how we're going to get home. Oh my God. So Insta versus reality. Yeah. (laughs) But um, yeah, that's crazy. But I'm sure like that's awesome. And like must be such a feeling of relief to have like had such an amazing experience um, just before. Little did you know that we were going to be like locked down and all that. Um, Yeah. 
I don't know, maybe weeks, months later, I don't know what the timeline was there, but for you guys specifically, but we were pretty much locked down for a while. Yeah. <laughs> so I think as soon know. as we got back from Thailand, the U.S. went into lockdown, oh, like the very wow. <laughs> next week, everything was shut down. Okay. Wow. So yeah, you really did slide right under the radar there. So that's mm-hmm. really awesome for you. <laughs> so I guess we're going to switch tunes a little bit. Obviously I'm Canadian. I'm straight. I'm white. Like, I don't know. I am a woman, I guess. So that's like kind of similar, but like, I just, mm-hmm. I can't get over like how many you're right about like your, your mom's kind of thinking like, why would you put something else onto your plate? So how, like, how are your experiences with all these intersections? Because you're right. Like they are all places where you can be like discriminated towards or um, face hate. And especially because you guys are um, like online. I don't know if I really want to call it influencers, but, but I think it's more than that. So that's why I didn't want to call it that. Um, So like, how do you experience this? And then in a real life world, in an online world, and especially at a time where there's so much contention um, in the United States, hopefully that's changing for the better. I know that was like a really long winded question, but I think you know (laughs) what I'm getting at. I hope. (laughs) Yeah, I got you. Um, It's been, I don't know. It's been kind of a whirlwind, a roller coaster of emotions. And it's been a lot. I mean, Prior to me being with Taryn, I honestly wasn't really aware of the issues that impacted the the queer community. I mean, obviously, I was super pro um, LGBT rights. Never, you know, thought that that should be anything that someone shouldn't have just because mm-hmm. they love someone different. But you know, after you know being in a relationship with Taryn, it it definitely opened my eyes to a lot more of the struggle that not just I face, but, you know, there are people who have even more complicated intersectionality than I do. Mm -hmm. There are people who are disabled and trans and have so much more to deal with. So, you know, it really opens your eyes to the struggles of other people. You know, being aware of that, I think it's not like I'm living in a a state of existential dread of impending doom. Like I'm Mm -hmm. very much like happy and I love my life. I love being a black woman. I love being a queer woman. I love being a woman, period. It's, It's a really special thing to be connected to these things that are supposed to oppress you, but to take that power back and be like, no, 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 I love being this. I believe, you know, women should run the world. Like I really Mm -hmm. believe that and to hold on to that and and use, you know, what again should be looked at as an oppressing thing, I guess, Mm -hmm. Um, to use that as something that's actually powerful has been my approach to it. And, you know, it's not without struggle. There are definitely you know, times where we don't feel comfortable holding hands um, in certain places or being affectionate because we don't really know if we're in a safe space to do that. Um, And that's, you know, compounded again with the fact that we're black women. Um, Mm -hmm. There are some places in the, in the country where if we, as two black women were seen holding hands, walking down a back road in like Alabama, we would fear for our lives. And Mm -hmm. we've definitely been in situations like that before where, we definitely, you know, are, are looking at ourselves like, okay, like, let's just try to get out of this as soon as possible so that we can stay safe. Because at the end of the day, like, yes, I, I always want to be my true self. And I, I don't want anybody to think that I'm not proud of who I am, but I also want to live. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, that's something that we do have to deal with um, in certain areas. And why we're so incredibly grateful to live in a super progressive city like Washington, D.C., where it went 93% blue and 
forgive me. I know that you don't necessarily want to talk about politics, but that's like all that's been on our brain. I didn't want to talk about politics just only because I always want to respect like what you guys are comfortable with. So you go right into it if you want to. Like, that's cool with me. For us, it's at least with this election, it's been so much more than politics. It's about mm-hmm. morality. Mm-hmm. So when... Like, I understand that we're supposed to, you know, hear other people's points of view and things like that. But for me, it's like, it is so clear that the president was so anti all of the things that I am and mm-hmm. so much more that for someone to vote for him proudly and even not proudly, but if you vote for him, period, for me, that felt like you don't care about my rights. You don't care about the fact that I and people like me and people who struggle even more than me have to struggle. And for me, that's morality. You don't care. Um, So it's it's definitely a difficult situation where I'm trying to see the good in everyone and understand that people have differing points of view. But for me, this has been very clear, good versus evil. And I know that might be a little bit extreme, but that's, that's how I see it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's definitely complicated being a queer woman of color in America, especially specifically a queer black woman. Um, but I, I wouldn't change it. I think we are so strong and so special and so needed in so many different ways that I'm proud of it. And I, I honestly wouldn't change thing. I just need people to recognize how much good <laughs> we bring and how awesome we are mm-hmm. and how we literally just save the world time and time again. And then mm-hmm. we'd be great. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of um, posts specifically in the last couple of days that are like, oh, just because um, like Trump is out um, doesn't mean like all of these barriers don't exist anymore. And I totally understand that. But at least at least from the outside looking in, at least there's like recognition that these problems exist and like not just like a clear disregard for them or a clear um, opposition to to the fact that there are discriminatory barriers um, to so many people in the United States that are just being like overlooked right. in terms of the economy or in terms of, um, I don't know. Like, I, I just, I don't know if you can speak to that. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Like we, we definitely feel that same way. It's, it's an interesting feeling. That's for sure. Um, mm-hmm. I'll even take it back kind of before the election, um, we recently were talking to uh, a publication just about the five-year anniversary of um, same-sex marriage being legal. And they just, they kind of asked like, how does that make you feel? And I was just kind of like, not great. Um, Mm -hmm. Mainly because I think it's insane that it took till 2015 for us to be able to get married. Mm -hmm. I I just, as much as I do think, and I, I, I have absolutely been diving into uh, celebrating this moment and appreciating it and living in this moment simply because, especially in 2020, we need to take any win we can get. For sure, yeah. Um, and, and we can't get too picky. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but for me, it is, you know, because we are queer Black women, we have to, we can't afford to take our foot off the gas. I guess is what I'll say. Um, we live in this moment. We enjoy the moment. We celebrate with everyone. We appreciate the moment. But in the same breath, I still worry about if my six foot seven brother, black brother who drives a uh, uh, sports car with all tinted windows, is mm-hmm. he going to get accosted by the police? Like that is still something right. that's very much an issue. Um, and it's very much you know, a, a current thing that could happen at any day. Um, my family, my brother specifically has had his own 
issues with police brutality um, in an area that is extremely diverse, you know? So for us, it is, it is living in the moment. It's appreciating where we are, but it's also in the back of our heads, realizing that it's not over and we still have a very, very long way to go. And I think that in itself is exactly what it feels like to be someone that has such an unique intersectionality. Mm -hmm. And you guys are really um, good at telling your stories um, and talking about this and creating conversations on your Instagram account, Are They Sisters, which I think is such a funny name, by the way. I don't know if it's meant to be funny, but it is so funny to me. I was like, that's so clever. It's like, so funny. Um, so anyway, I think that that is just such a great community. And like the way that you guys talk about um, issues and start discussions is like so not preachy, which I'm like that's like what I look for in like activism and whatever. And like, I know that sometimes it can be easy to like, just preach to other people, like this is how it should be and like whatever. But um, I find it so much more authentic when it's not. And like, this is what we believe. And like, if you choose to believe this, I find it very mm -hmm. like authentic and like, you're not trying to like change people's minds. You're just trying to like enlighten them about the problems um, that you face or like the activism that you participate in. Yeah, absolutely. I think our page is there for those that want to be there. I don't mm -hmm. think our page is there for those that here's the thing, like it's 2020 and yeah, you may be able to change some people's minds. Those mm -hmm. that are on the fence, those that are um, not super aware or not super tapped in, but for the most part, people have very firm beliefs mm -hmm. um, and, and feel a certain way. If you are a Trump supporter, there's likely a strong reason why you're a Trump supporter and you have no real desire to understand the other side. To me, mm -hmm. it's really as cut as dry as that. For yeah. me, if, if, if you can ignore all the hate that has come with this administration and align yourself with anything else on that side, you've made your point very clear. Mm -hmm. um, and as much as I would love to reach across the aisle and get other people to understand our point of view, I don't think that's necessarily why Are They Sisters is there. I think it's there mm -hmm. for a representation to show, hey, there are Black queer couples in the world and look, we're thriving and we can work together and we can build this community um, and, you know, and, and be together. But I also think it's there for support for those that, you know, are going through something very similar. We get a lot of Instagram messages from people that um, are dealing with coming out to their families and, and dealing with uh, the, the blowout from that. Um, we get messages from people who are going through their own situation of being uh, called sisters continuously with their significant <laughs> other. Um, but we get a lot of messages from people just saying, thank you for, for just being there. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's exactly why we're here. It's just to be there. It's to be able to, to, to contribute to the community that not a lot of people are contributing to. Mm -hmm. For sure. Your page really is like, I think it's pretty apparent when you just go onto your page, like what type of content you guys have. So do you face any like online hate or how do you like kind of cope with this? Because I know that the internet is just a breeding ground for people who, um, who love to hate. So do you guys feel like you get this a lot or is it not really an issue for you? Honestly, we haven't received a lot of hate, which I, I think is surprising. Mm -hmm. I, I agree. The online community can be very brutal, but I think the people who are on our page, like Taryn said, want to be there. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that people are looking for content about queer women of color just to bash them. I mean, maybe, but we haven't seen a lot of that. Um, if there is some sort of comment that somebody says negatively, we'll just very quickly delete it and block it because like, yeah, you're, you're not in good company here. Like there's no point. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we, we've been fortunate to not receive a lot of hate. 
that's positive because I know there are people that do seek that out. So I think that's um, like, I don't want to say you're lucky, but, uh, but I'm, I'm glad for you <laughs> is what I want to say. Yeah, no, um, yeah. We definitely feel very fortunate about that. Moving on to like a lighter subject. Um, so you guys are now planning for your wedding, um, but in like a COVID world. So how is this going? Um, do you guys want to kind of stay strong with your wedding plans, whatever you may have, um, and kind of wait until after the pandemic? Or like many people that I know, are you changing your plans to fit into COVID restrictions? Yeah, um, we're obviously not doing any wedding planning right now. Um, okay, we were um, before we decided to get into a house, but with COVID happening and like interest rates being so incredibly low, we mm-hmm. felt like it was the right time for us to go forward with the house mm-hmm. and then figure out the wedding thing later. We definitely do want to have some sort of celebration. Um, at some point, but we're, again, not sure when that's even going to be possible. They're not saying that the world will get back to normal until maybe the end of 2021. So there's, mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, no point in us planning anything right now because we don't want to have to move things several times. And all the money we have right now, honestly, is going into our house and maybe a puppy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think what we'll do, what we're thinking about doing is going on the anniversary, like our dating anniversary, which is the end of May going to the courthouse and like getting officially married so that we can, you know, be in our house, be married and, you know, really start our lives together officially. Um, so that would be next year on our five-year anniversary. And then depending on where the world is in 2022, maybe we'll have some sort of, you know, celebration at our, uh, there's a really nice community center in the uh, neighborhood we're moving into. So maybe we'll do like, um, some sort of party or something then that's what we're thinking about but honestly not putting a ton of thought into it other than just going to get married um, and officially tie things up next year well that's amazing Um, and I know it's so hard to plan so I I grant you some additional patience or like best wishes in in that (laughs) because even just planning simple things uh can be can be so like tumultuous right now so good luck with that I um that's so tough. And, and also just congratulations on your home. That's really exciting. Thank um, you. Just in general, I feel like for our generation of people uh, in general, that's a huge accomplishment um, to be buying a home that like is your own is what I'm trying to say. Like that is yeah. just really, really such an accomplishment. So congratulations on that. Thank you. We're definitely, we're definitely proud of it. Super anxious. We're not, we're not supposed to get in there till late January. So Mm -hmm. have some time, Um, but we're, we're excited. So thank you for those kind words. Yes, of course. So um, at the end of my show, I always do rapid fire questions. um, And it's more just like fun, just like get to know you a bit better, like just some like random stuff. So um, we're gonna end with that. And so my first question, I guess you guys could do this together, or you could do separate ones if you want, Um, totally up to you. So the first one is kind of like the dinner party sort of conversation. So if you could hang or like quarantine with any five people, like famous friends, like whoever you want, family, um, who would it be? So you guys could do a, a combinated five or you could do five separate. <laughs> totally up to you. <laughs> oh man, quarantine with five people. Well, my first thoughts were Michelle Obama and Issa Rae. That's oh, yeah, that would be great. Those would be great. Um, 
and this is, these are celebrities or really anyone. They, yeah. They could be anyone you want. Like even just like friends you haven't seen in a while. Like I know a lot of the people I've had on have been like, Oh, I haven't seen any of my friends or, or stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, anyone you want. My mom. <laughs> that would be three. I mean, I've basically been quarantining with her anyway. She's like one of the only people I've seen through quarantine. So my mom, um, that's three. Two others. That's tough. Probably your sister. No, she get on my nerves. Amanda, we're quarantining the whole time. But then you could see the kids. I could see the kids, but it, that's like already five people. There. <laughs> Um, okay, wait, we have three. What do we like? <laughs> I feel like any type of like chef would be good. Like I've had a lot of people be like, oh, I want someone to cook for me or like a comedian or That's like a singer. Brilliant. Yeah, chef is great. Um, we cook a lot though, so. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> no, no, yeah, we could. I don't know. This is tough. Maybe Grant, that famous chef from, um, nah. <laughs> I would find dining every single day. <laughs> Clearly we're having a hard time with this. <laughs> well, it's a hypothetical situation, so t- it's not a set in stone. <laughs> uh, Adele. Adele would be fun. Oh, yes. And she could sing to us. That's yeah. true. Okay, I'm good with it. So that's four. We need okay. just one more. What? No, her. Oh, yeah, her, her, her. Mm, yes. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, did you guys watch both of them on SNL? Like her and no, Adele? No, well, we did. We watched the clips and it's recorded on our, actually, we just got rid of our cable box. So it's no longer recorded, <laughs> um, but we saw some of the clips. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would definitely recommend if you can find the full episode somewhere. That was like, if you love both of them, that was like such an iconic episode. Um, so would recommend. That was one of my favorite ones this season so far. Okay. Good to know. We love both of them. So yeah. Much. Yeah. No, it was really good. Um, okay. So next question. I don't know if you guys are big like Netflix or like, I don't know what you streaming you guys do, but like what show are you binging right now? Oh my gosh, we've been so many since the start of quarantine. Like I can't even keep up. But the current one we're binging is The Man in High Castle oh. on Amazon Prime. Okay. I've heard that's really yeah. good. Okay. It's good so far. It's definitely like a drama. So you have to like pay attention hmm. and like, you know, it's understand that it's not like going to be funny. It's going to be really intense. Okay. And it's also kind of like if... I like to think of it as if Trump won another four years, this is what I imagine America would be like, which oh, is really scary. Yeah. So kind of like horror. So it's kind of a horror. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> nice. No, I've heard good things about that one. So I'll definitely put that on my list. Thank you. I always like to put like a positive spin on stuff. So although there's been like a lot of negative outcomes from COVID-19 having to be locked down, quarantine, all that kind of stuff. Um, what has been your fo- favorite positive outcome of it all? I think for me, um, everyone having the chance to just like be still for a second. Like we don't get that in our society to just take some time to be still and like reflect mm-hmm. on your life, what's happening and really getting, getting to know who you are. Like all of those things I think are so awesome. Mm-hmm. I have two. Oh, <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're funny just because they're completely different than something like that. Um, the first one is that our plane was completely empty on the way to Thailand. Oh, and oh that was specifically <laughs> because of COVID. So I appreciated that. We were able to like stretch out an economy and have our own rows for a 13 hour flight. So that mm-hmm. was beautiful. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then the other thing is that we got a really low interest rate because of COVID on our house. So that was another really huge positive. Oh, wow. Like, yeah. Uh, those, those are, are yeah, no, those are, no, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Those are very <laughs> tangible positives. So um, that's awesome. And I'm so glad for you guys because I've had friends, I guess like the thing um, my age people do after they graduate these days has been go to Thailand and they always complain about how cramped the planes are. So I can secondhand oh appreciate gosh, that yeah. for you. So <laughs> that's awesome. Okay. Last one. Um, um, what is like your favorite book that you've read like fairly recently, like within the last like six months, let's say, and unless you're not, you're not big readers. I don't know. <laughs> Karen's not a big reader, so I'll take this question. Okay, cool. You're not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I read recently um, Where the Crawdads Sing. Ooh. And it was a surprising book. Like, I wasn't, as I was, you know, first getting started reading, and I was like, am I going to like this? But I found myself continuing to turn the pages and to be really invested in what was happening to the main character. And I, I love books about women especially women triumphing over people who are trying to keep them down. So mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that book. And that's a book that I've read in the last six months, but my favorite book ever, I'm just going to throw a plug yeah. in there is, um, Oh my gosh. I also forgot untamed by Glennon Doyle. Oh, I've read yeah. that in the last six months and that's definitely like top five, maybe top three, maybe mm-hmm. top two. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, it's between that and the book that I will literally recommend to every human being in all spaces of the world is um, Small Great Things by Jodi Picoult. Okay. It is so amazing. Okay. I haven't read that one. Obviously it's out there. Okay. I'm, I'm actually, this is like a selfish question because, and also same with the binging one, because I like getting other people's recommendations. So I have to strategically put that in so that they'll give me recommendations. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> so it's been really, really awesome hanging with you guys today. Um, so I would just like to say thank you so much for sharing so much, um, and having such like a genuine, like authentic conversation. Um, so yeah, thank you for your time and your, your words. Yeah, no, this was a real pleasure. And, you know, if you have anything like this that you'd like to do in the future, we'd be happy to do it. Yeah. Amazing. And we thank you for giving us the opportunity to have the voice. It's a, the podcast is a really cool concept. So we appreciate you um, extending it out to those that aren't normally in your circle. Oh, thank you. Thanks. It's such a pleasure. I'm Alia Ballas, and you have been listening to Can't Hang. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you loved today's show, please subscribe and don't forget to leave a rating and a review. Visit canhang.simplecast.com to check out all the incredible people I've interviewed and who's coming soon. Much love goes out to all those who have been posting about Can't Hang on social. Please tag me in your posts at Can't Hang Pod, and please continue to send me suggestions of who you'd love to see in future episodes. I have an incredible lineup, but I'm always looking for people outside my bubble. Please tune in next Thursday and hang with me and my next guest. This show is produced by me, Alia Ballas, and the music was created by Quan. Quan.